Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon, the podcast about a podcast that might just be too beautiful to live. In the Stick of Butter Studios, I'm Ann Lundholm. On last Monday's recap, we were test driving a new mic, Mike Farnan, who was fantastic. But we decided that the old Mike still has a few miles left in him. So joining me from the Insect Museum in Kyle, Texas, is Mike Frizzell. Hi, Mike. Hey, thanks for letting me hop in tonight. It's my pleasure. So on our Friday shows, we like to take a look back at some TBTL history. And sometimes we get to hang out with a guest from the TENS community. And tonight, joining us from Provincetown, Massachusetts, is Sarah Mulrooney. Welcome, Sarah. Hey, guys. What's up? Did I say Provincetown correctly? Or is, yeah, is it, you got it. It's not Provincetown? No, it's not Provincetown. Um, it's the only sort of intuitively pronounced Massachusetts town name. But most people refer to it as P-Town. Oh, oh. well, now yeah. we know. Yeah, yeah That's yeah. the companion podcast to S-Town. I, possibly, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to listen to that, by the way. I am too. <laughs> yeah. So the plan for tonight is to get to know Sarah a little bit. Uh, we'll listen uh, to and discuss the clip she's brought us. We'll do a little housekeeping and we'll tell you how you can get involved with the show. So let's get to it. Uh, Sarah, the first thing I want to know is uh, what are you doing in Provincetown? You live in Connecticut, right? I do. Yeah, I live in the upper northwest corner of Connecticut, sort of where the Catonics and the Berkshires com come together. Um, I work at a boarding school out there. And P-Town is a retreat um, space for, for me and it has been for a long time. So I come out here a lot in the summer, at which time it is like a booming um, tourist town that is absolutely the most fun place to be in the summer, I think. And it's a super, I don't know if you've heard it, it's like a very like gay mecca. It's like all the gays come out here and, and vacation. Um, but in the winter, it's like dead. There's nothing's open. It's cold. It's quiet. And it's a really nice place to come and just be chill for a couple of days. And I'm on my March break. So I'm just out here for a couple of days by myself. I had to, to uh, Google map it because I'm not that oh, okay. familiar with East Coast geography, yeah. to be honest. And it's in the little tail. It's in the little tip of the tail yeah. of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I it's like it. the end of the world. It's the end of the world. It's awesome. You can literally walk out to the tip of a part of the country. Um, it's really neat. You can feel that energy when you're here, too. That's great. I'd like to visit. Mm -hmm. You should. It's awesome. Uh, so, Mike, you spent the better part of the afternoon uh, stalking Sarah, correct? <laughs> yes, I did some some light stalking, and she keeps her um, page pretty clean. She yeah. keeps it uh, pretty tight because um, uh, Sarah, tell people what your job entails. So, I mean, I've been in education for you know most of my adult life, and I am currently the academic dean at a private boarding school in, like I said, Connecticut. Um, so it's kind of a senior administrative role. Um, school leadership has been, I've been doing that for a while. And I also teach and I work in the chapel. And what do you um, teach? I teach in the philosophy and religion department. I'm currently okay. teaching an intro to New Testament class. So I am an atheist humanist who teaches early Christian history. It's a really um, <laughs> interesting, <laughs> interesting confluence of, of, of stuff. Um, that's my, my background was in, in theology. That's what I studied in undergrad and grad school. Uh -huh. I think that's yeah. a really, uh, probably a good option. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it works for me. To get somebody who is um, super invested in Christianity, I think mm -hmm. that strips away some of the their ability to 
um, set aside some of the, I, I don't know, the, um, I'll just say the less true parts of Yeah, no, of totally, totally. And a lot of my, so this, the school I work at right now is a boys school. Um, so when I say my boys, it's because that's, that's all I teach. But a lot of my boys come into the class um, as nuns. And I don't mean like ladies of the cloth. I mean, N-O-N-E's, like guys who don't identify um, in one way particularly or another religiously, and mm-hmm. the rest of them are Catholic. Um, and I think in, in both of those cases, and, and not just these boys, but people come into that space with a lot of like misconceptions and sort of preconceptions. And the thing I like to do is really kind of break it all down and give them a lot of the historical context that you wouldn't normally get, um, you know, in a, in a religious setting. So that's, that's kind of my deal. I love that work. It's, it's, it's actually been a lot of fun. I haven't been in the classroom for a long time, so I love it. Well, it's interesting that you, uh, come at it from that perspective, because when I transferred to a Catholic school, when I was a senior in high school, I was completely a-religious, didn't even mm-hmm. give it a thought. And mm-hmm. my first period of every day was religion class. And I learned more in that class than than any class that I took at Eastside Catholic my senior year because it was all new to me. They would just, right. every day would be like, really? Yeah. Hmm. And people are curious about it, you know, like whether they want to be a part of it or not, it, it's one of the sort of, you know, major forces in our, in our world, um, mm. you know, politically and, you know, anthropologically and sociologically. So it's like, people kind of want to know more about it, but I yeah. think it's about creating a comfortable space for folks to be like, Oh really? You know, <laughs> um, when you, you know, tell them there's two completely different, you know, stories of Jesus's birth and, you know, one of them has very different, you know, details than another and compare and contrast them. And they're like, wait, I thought it all happened together. It's like, no, no, that's Christmas carols. Like this is yeah. actually what the text says. And so I, I really enjoy that, that aspect of the work. That's kind of what I get excited about when it comes to religious studies is breaking down those barriers. So let me ask, when yeah. Luke talks about Jesus Creek, coming from from your perspective, I mean, uh, the school that you are with could not be more different from Jesus mm-hmm. Creek from mm-hmm. what I've seen, but mm-hmm. they do have that sort of religious underpinning. I mean, how do you feel when you listen to him talk about that kind of experience? I, I think I, I think I have an understanding of like what kind of school that was. Um, and I think the terrible fact that it, school. Yeah. And the fact that it didn't like <laughs> exist be after his, what his sophomore year or something like yeah. that, you know, gives me a sense for two. And, and also like his discussion about his upbringing. Like I, f- I find it fascinating. Like he's, he's one of many kind of characters that I am aware of in popular culture who were raised in, super evangelical or like even culty kinds of upbringings who just completely walk away from it and have very, very different worldviews as adults. And I think that's really cool. I think that that's fascinating. And um, I, I don't know, he, you know, it's been a while. He, he and Jen used to talk about Jesus Creek a lot and they would sing their gospel songs and stuff like that, but they always just kind of giggled about it. And I think they never really had access to good information. That's my, right. that's kind of my hunch about what all went on there. I think you drift further away from uh, whatever it is that you grew up with, depending on how much bullshit it was. Yeah, exactly. If you're raised in like a Jesuit or, you know, or some sort of humanistic, you know, you, you, even if you drift away from the religion, you can still, you know, it, it still kind of makes sense to you. But when you're raised in this environment where it's like an all or nothing, Mm 
yeah, you know, high yeah. stakes evangelical thing. Yeah. When you're done with it, you're like, oh yeah, that's complete yeah. bullshit. Yeah, right and here. there's a point too at which, like in in childhood development, like young adults, where they just go. Oh yeah, that doesn't make sense anymore. Like when people figure <laughs> right. out about Santa Claus, they're like, "Yeah, I can't yeah. believe I ever believed that." You know, and so there's <laughs> yeah. like there's that moment in I think everybody's kind of, you know, spiritual and faith-based journey in in a variety of different ways and um, you know, I never really had to grapple personally with any of that stuff. My parents were both kind of ex-Catholics who were like, "No, mm-hmm. not for our kids. We're not doing that." Um, you know, and I grew up with a dad who was like about crystals and angels and a mom who was doing Tai Chi and practicing Buddhism and doing all kinds of, you know, so it was just, I I just was kind of like, Hey, religion's interesting. And so I studied it, Mm -hmm. you know, so I have a different access point to it. And I think that that's something that I try to bring to the boys who I, who I work with because they kind of roll their eyes at a lot of it too. And that's, that's normal. That's developmentally appropriate, you know? Well, speaking of boys, I want to talk a little bit about, um, the boarding school environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, when I transferred, it was into a uh, a co-ed uh, school because, and, uh, and the reason I was thinking of, of this was I was listening to uh, a Bill Simmons podcast recently where Isaiah Thomas of the Boston Celtics, mm. and who also went to the University of Washington. So you probably, mm-hmm. you're a Celtics fan, right? Being, sure. Yeah. 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 Being from that area. So Isaiah Thomas, cool guy. He's five, six, five, seven, five, eight, maybe. Um, so he's a real huge success story in the NBA. He's scoring mm-hmm. like 30 points a game and he's amazing. Mm-hmm. And he came out of the University of Washington, came out of Tacoma. And one of the things he had to do uh, after, I think after his sophomore year, he was in Tacoma and his grades weren't good. And he had to go to an all boys boarding school in Connecticut, not your huh. school. I think yep. he went nope. to yep. South Kent. Is that mm-hmm. familiar? Yep. With? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And he said, he was fucking miserable, <laughs> and, and not not because not because they were making him study. He knew he yeah. needed to do that because he wanted to to go to the UW and and be a star, yeah. uh, and and not because he wasn't playing basketball because he was and he was having a lot of success and he was you know highly highly uh, rated nationally, mm-hmm. but no girls. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I you know it's fun like. Uh, I've, so this is my first year in the boarding school environment. I was in day school for ever. You know, I was at the same, actually the same day school in Boston for 18 years um, before I moved to Connecticut. And it was a very different kind of place. And the boarding school life is just, it's unlike anything else. Um, and a lot of these boys, you know, I, I haven't gotten to the point yet where, and I may never because I'm a female faculty member. Like, I don't know what their kind of chit chat is like with their, their male teachers mm-hmm. and their male coaches and stuff. But, um, I, you know, I've got like one or two kids who I, whose parents have told me like, Oh, he really misses girls and he's really unhappy. Um, but one thing that I've noticed with these boys in this single sex environment, and I went to Smith, so I'm a big proponent of single sex education mm-hmm. for like people for whom it's a good fit. It's a good fit. Yeah. Um, one thing that I started to notice this year, which was just so sweet and really made me happy was these boys, because they're in this single sex environment and there's not 
sort of the heteronormative expectations that they would have they would have to deal with with girls around is they're very sweet with each other they're mm-hmm. very affectionate they hug mm-hmm. um they they touch one another like you know but like brothers like right. it's 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 adorable and a lot of their guard is down in a lot of ways um and then of course when there's well a you're dance, not they're not always having to uh spread their feathers you know exactly like, yeah. yeah no it totally and like they a lot of them have figured out a way to mix being like super masculine with super feminine in a lot of like it's mm-hmm. it's interesting and um i think that sort of brotherhood piece is a really big part of at least what happens at at the school i work at but um mm-hmm. certainly i'm sure that they <laughs> they miss having girls around and right. you know i i do too and 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 i think that sometimes when I'm in the middle of teaching, I I look around the room and I think to myself, I couldn't do this if there were girls in the room. Like I Mm -hmm. would have to manage my tone and my energy and my physicality totally differently than I do when it's just me and all, you know, 14, 17, 17 year olds, you know, it's a completely different life, the dynamic. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I'm sure there's some boys who are like miserable for that reason. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But but they find a way to like connect with the culture in a way that works for them, I think. I'm I'm sure it would have been good for me and I'm sure I would have been a better person had that happened for me. But I I just think at the time, I mean, outside of staying eligible to play sports, one of the only reasons to get out of bed in the morning and go to school is because that's where they keep the girls. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, I would, I would love to sort of interview a, a, a sort of subset of boys from my school and ask them like what they get out of bed in the morning for. Like, yeah. you know, is it their teachers? Is it their coaches? Is it, you know, their buddies is, you know, is it the food? What, what is it? You know, why, mm-hmm. why are you, why do you keep, and some boys PS, some boys don't get out of bed in the morning, you know, so yeah. they just, yeah. they stay in their rooms all day and they cut class and they get demerits and it's a whole shit show. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, if, if it's the right environment, it's a really good environment. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that that's a really small, you know, it's, it's a, it's a 1% of the 1% kind of thing, unfortunately. And you had a question about uh, the Salisbury school. Oh, yeah. At the Salisbury School, do you eat Salisbury steak? <laughs> or is it just yeah. called steak? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, at the Salisbury School, yes. Occasionally, they bust out what they call Salisbury steak. Um, and I don't know what the connection is between that food and the name of this school. But um, I don't think that they're necessarily connected in any way. But, yeah, sometimes they'll throw out some, like, beef patties with some sauce on them that makes them Salisbury-ish. I usually Since it's on a low-grade uh, steak, I imagine it, it goes back to England. Yeah, no, totally. Really... <laughs> and the name of this school goes back to England. Like, this, the whole structure of this board, mm-hmm. like, they, they don't call it ninth grade and freshman year. They call it third form. Like, it's a oh. whole English school mm-hmm. tradition mm-hmm. thing. So, nice. yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of connection there. But typically, that's the nights when I think the kitchen is kind of running low on stuff, and they, like, whip out the frozen patties and call it a Salisbury steak night. <laughs> right. Normally, though, this this dining hall staff does an awesome job. Like, they, the food's really, really good here. I love it. Okay. Uh, well, I, while I was doing my um, frizzelling of your Facebook mm-hmm. page, I, mm-hmm. I found one picture that I found really interesting. And okay. I threw it into the Slack channel, so Anne has seen this picture. Okay. I think it's a you and a friend, and it's two different times. It's kind of a split screen of, of you and a friend oh. with two different <laughs> Boston area 
sports yeah. team mascots. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of them being the New England Patriots mascot. Yeah, Pat the Patriot. Mm-hmm. Pat the Patriot. I'm mm. glad you. I'm glad you have his yeah, name. We know each other's names. Yeah, um, yeah we've met. Uh, this this mascot is probably the biggest douchebag looking mascot. <laughs> that I've, the biggest bro ham. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, let, let me describe the other one. Well, see, the thing is, what I was thinking was Boston has great sports teams, great sports traditions in, you know, the, the Bruins, the Patriots, the Red Sox, mm-hmm. um, who am I missing? Uh, the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think the Celtics have a mascot, right? Yeah, they do. They have a little they dude do. dressed up as a leprechaun. He does. Oh, well, of course they do. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, and he shoots cannon T-shirts. Of course, they have a mascot. I, I would expect. I don't want him shooting cannons. I want him picking fights. <laughs> he probably does do that. Let's be honest. He keeps his little, ma- you know, leprechaun vest on, and he goes. Since out they're, and he they're not allowed to bath. talk, I, I just have him holding up a sign that says, "You think you're better than me?" And then <laughs> start swinging on some uh, some fan. So the other picture, uh, I don't. Hockey mascots aren't common. Do the Bruins have a mascot? I don't, yeah, the, I mean, the bear, there's a guy who dresses up in a bear costume. Okay. That's um, probably okay. Yeah, that's basic. It's just a bear. Yeah. Um, so the the what, the Boston Red Sox mascot, I was yeah. not aware of this mascot. Okay. Uh, what's yeah. what's uh, his or her name? Wally the Green Monster. Oh, he looks the like green a monster. Muppet. <laughs> he very much, he's got giant orange eyebrows and a big orange nose, and he wears New Balance because he's a hipster. And, you know, he he's named after the wall. I think he looks like a drunk Ninja Turtle. (laughs) (laughs) He does that. He does that whole thing where he dances and he like pushes his belt, you know, like the belly is like a hoop skirt kind of thing. Like there's a structure inside the costume. He does that whole thing where he he pushes his belly around and dances and stuff. Yeah. So I was thinking that that um, Boston, you know, no offense, Sarah, but they they seem to have the the highest team success to mascots that make any sense or or have any appeal yes. ratio Agreed. of any major league city. Agreed. And a little like behind the scenes of these pictures that you're talking about, that was at my previous school. The other woman in the photo is Nicole, who's the head of school at my old school. And we have a, we had a family at that school who had connections with, you know, a variety of teams, whatever. And this, the the Wally picture was after the the Red Sox won the World Series, not the last time, but the time before that. And then the Patriots one was like, not this past, sorry, not to brag, not this past Super Bowl win, but <laughs> the one two years before that, no, right? No. Um, and nope, Mike, this will satisfy you, I think. I would always be so irritated when this this mascot would come, not because I thought it was douchey, um, but because it would disrupt our morning routine. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I would be annoyed that I would have to go out and participate in this nonsense when I was getting ready to have like really annoying meetings with annoying parents and things like that. So I would always be like hard eye rolling this whole process and everybody would just give me a hard time. Um, and Pat the Patriot returned to the school this year, but I was no longer there. And um, there was a sad picture of Nicole with just Pat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. And I wasn't there to like be her hard eye roll partner in, in picture taking. If Pat the Patriot were an actual representation of a New England patriot or an American yeah. uh, rev- revolutionary soldier. Mm. I think I would have turned red coat. I think I would have. I think I would have. 
<laughs> gone with King George. Yeah, you'd have been a lobster back for sure. <laughs> I might have as well. He's got a giant head. Oh my god. Yes. It's awful. It's it really awful. does. Ugh. Uh, okay. So the next thing I want to um, run by you is I on this old podcast I used to do called the Takedown Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my partner Matt uh, had a legendary temper, and I and I would see how mad I could make him. Mm. Um, and usually it would uh, involve some elaborate setup, and and you know just try to build and build and build and make him as mad as possible at the end of the buildup. But we had a shorter version of it where I would see how mad I could make him with a, just a succinct phrase or a name <laughs> of someone. Okay. And yeah. I think I have a name of someone and a not obvious one like Donald Trump or whatever, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I have a name of someone that can make you instantly angry. Okay. Let's and do it. Let me see if my theory is correct. Right. Betsy DeVos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. How mad does that make you on a scale of one to 10? How mad does that name just make you? Um, she's a Muppet. She's a Muppet. She's the one who's a Muppet. Yeah, no, she's a bad, bad person. She's bad. Um, she's a garbage person. Yeah. While you were Facebook, um, frizzling me, you might've seen, um, not too, uh, there's a picture of Ralph Wiggum, um, standing with, I'm an education secretary, you know, (laughs) in the, as the sort of the meme. Yeah. I mean, and it's funny because like I'm becoming so desensitized to the nightmare that is going on in our federal government right now that I'm just like, oh yeah, that I was really upset about that a month ago because I'm on to other things now. But yep. Yep. She's a, she's a POS for sure. (laughs) Well, I dropped, uh, I didn't drop the Wiggum thing in the Slack channel, but for, for Anne's benefit, I dropped the one of uh, her inauguration tweet, which was Mm. well edited like my mom. And, yes, or, or one of yep. my copy editors in college. So which is, good. <laughs> so good. So just that was one that, up like that a gave me hand. such joy, just absolute joy. And that I generally like snob out on grammar anyway. So that was like especially um, satisfying for me. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put that up under under the show after we post that. But I think the mascot one has to be our show picture. If that's okay. <laughs> sure. Whatever. <laughs> Nicole will be very happy. The last thing that I grabbed off of there, um, when I found out uh, where the town is, Salisbury mm-hmm. is in Connecticut, I I looked it up and they're proud of having six lakes within yes. the uh, city limits, which is yes. a good, good amount of lakes for a small town. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and two of them are semi to almost unpronounceable yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, the one, let me take a shot at the second one <laughs> first, because I, I think I can come close on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is in, the reason I bring this up is because Luke has recently bragged about <laughs> having been able to pronounce different rivers in uh, <laughs> Pennsylvania and, and yeah. could not. Okay. Wananpakuk? Yeah, that sounds about right. Wananpakuk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one, uh, spelled in, I know this drives people crazy, but I'm going to spell it. W-O-N-O-N-S-C-O-P-O-M-U-C. Uh-huh. And do you have yeah. a do you have a run at that? Do you have any? One on Scopelmuck. <laughs> That's good, Anne. Yeah, I like Sorry, that. I, I would go with that. I'll side with that. Is there Sarah, is there 
No, I, I think you guys nailed it, but not to Ooh. say that too early, but nailed it for sure. I've never I've never sweated more during a podcast than than trying to figure out those pronunciations. I frequently walk down to Lake Washini, which is a little easier to say, but that's the mm-hmm. one that we sort of like own a chunk of. Our crew team rows in it and stuff. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, that's that's that abuts our campus. Oh, Washini. all boys school crew team, all those oh, lakes, man, you oh, guys yeah. probably dominate. Uh, uh, yeah, last year I think they won the national championship. Um, yeah. the, the boys. Yeah. 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 They look good. And, 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 and a lot of them are letting their hair fly. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And there's some dress code stuff around hair too. And there's a couple of boys who are pushing it every damn day. Like yeah. it's not supposed to go past their shoulders. And there were a few boys who were wearing like little top knots on top of their heads this year, but then they all went home for Christmas and got their hair cut. I think their parents wanted them to get serious about college or something, but yeah. um, there's some weird hair stuff. It's not, it's not as interesting as it was a few years back where boys had all, all had the sort of like shaggy in the eyes thing going. Um, mm-hmm. The high top fade is making a re, uh, a sort of a, a comeback, which I love like sort of the fresh Prince of Prince of Bel Air look. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, other than that, hair's pretty boring these days. Well, I enjoyed the stalking. That's, uh, that's all I have. So I'll, I'll hand you over to Anne. Excellent. Yeah. Let's talk about TBTL, shall we? Do let's. <laughs> so Sarah, how did you come to find TBTL? Well, unlike most people, I heard about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Mm-hmm. Um, no, just kidding. I think you should do a stats collection on that, by the way. I think it's uh-huh. probably, I would say, north of 85%. Um, I actually became a, a fan of podcasts in general when I was um, sort of in the throes of my obsession with the show Lost. I got really excited about sort of the online community and like debunking myths and trying to figure stuff out. And then I discovered people were talking about it on the internet and nobody else would talk to me about it. So I sort of developed these relationships with all these podcasts where they would talk about all this stuff that I was interested in. And then, and then Lost ended um, and I was bereft. So I remember one day I was painting a room in my apartment uh, back when I lived in Boston, and I heard for the like 30th time on a Wait Wait podcast that, you know, Luke Burbank hosts this TBTL and Too Beautiful to Live. And I was like, whatever, I'll, I'll check it out. So that's how I became um, acquainted. I think um, I want to say I dipped back in on Lost. I watched the first season and I dipped uh-huh. back in like season four. And I, mm-hmm. I could have really used a podcast like that was called yeah. Really Lost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was not one of those people that got mad and hated it at the end. Mm-hmm. Like I found things to love, but um upon reflection, I think there were definitely some issues. Um but it was so good. Well, it was good. It was so good. I think I saw the previews before it started mm-hmm. and I thought, yeah, I'm going to check that out. And then somehow I missed the first episode and I was like, well, oh. that's it. I can't watch it now. <laughs> Right, because Netflix didn't exist or anything. I actually missed the first season, and then my my at the time my girlfriend and I were that was before Netflix was streaming, so we got like a DVD that had three or four episodes on it, and we were like, oh my god, oh my god. So we we kept waiting for it to come in the mail and and keep mm-hmm. going um, throughout season one. And the way season one ended, it was like, are you kidding me? So you know, I was hooked from from then on. 
that's how I watched the wire with, mm. with those discs. And that, that is so, cause you mm. get it and you consume it. You stay up super late and you're shitty at work the next day. Yes. And yes. then you gotta, you're like, why did, the next night you're like, why didn't I save anything? Why? Yep. Yep. Oh, I love the wire. I, I rewatch that on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. All right. So as far as TBTL goes, do you mm-hmm. remember what the first episode you uh, listened to was? Yeah, I do. Um, so when I checked it out, this was back when iTunes used to do, like, first of all, you had to go to iTunes to get your podcast. Like, there wasn't a smartphone situation. So iTunes used to keep, like, a handful of, like, selected episodes in the, like, I don't know, the catalog or whatever. Um, so I went back to the earliest one I could find on the list, and it was the episode where... Sean talked about having an apparatus strapped <laughs> to his uh, junk Bird junk. Porn. Yeah, yeah, in order to get a little extra cash and I, I you know, they were popping in and out of commercial breaks, but it was being like it was turned into a podcast and I just was like what the fuck on earth is going on here? Like <laughs> what are these people talking about? Um, the music bumps and all the hipster stuff. And, and there was some referencing to Lindsay Lohan and Jen was laughing her ass off. And I just was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I couldn't, I couldn't understand what I was listening to, but I, I knew I wanted to like get something out of it. So I kind of went back for more and listened through to a few episodes and kind of got the rhythm of it. Um, but you know, and sort of kept, kept on consuming from there. So it was, I think that episode might've been the first week, like one of the first episodes that they ever did on the, on the radio show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in the game early, even though, you know, it was sort of historically not this at the same time, but I got in on the kind of ground floor after I, after I had a couple of years where I didn't get in there. So, you struggled along for a little while, yes, kind of trying to figure it out. And then at yeah. what point did you sort of figure out that you were a 10? Um, it's hard to pin down. I have these like, I have these like place and time memories with the podcast where sure, like, yeah. I remember where I was when st- mm-hmm. I think this happens to a lot of people, mm-hmm. like memories connected to that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think... So like my earliest memory of being like, okay, I, I am in love with these people and like they're my best friends um, was when they were doing the um, – Jen was getting all geared up for the royal wedding and they were listening to the, the like, you know, made for TV commercial of the fake like turn your finger green um, <laughs> ring. And $19.90. $19.90. <laughs> and Jen was just laughing her ass off and I remember where I was I was walking I was like working I frequently listen to you know TBTL and other podcasts when I'm working out and exercising and stuff I don't do music um Mike I know you can appreciate that yes um yeah music is like what it's distracting um but um so that was a moment that I remember of being like this is something I'm going to just keep I'm gonna stay with these people like they're good people um but I think like in a more general sense when I figured out I was a 10 was probably the first time that I kind of got an inside joke um, where they were sort of referencing something from before and I knew what it was about. And I was like giggling and laughing. And I knew that if I hadn't been listening for a while, I wouldn't know what they were talking about. And that was a cool, that was probably like. It, it's also kind of reassuring when you finally get one of those because you're like, 
oh, that means all these other times when they were laughing between themselves. It was probably funny. Right. So I'm not, I haven't been wasting my time. <laughs> well, yes. And I, I actually took on a pretty serious like research project where I time banded all the way back to the beginning. Um, so I think I started listening in 2010, but I had a couple of years of like radio shows turned into podcasts to listen to. And this was back mm. when you would have to like download it from the dot net thing. And like the third hour would be the second hour. And like mm-hmm. I cracked God the code and figured out which order to put them in and like downloaded them onto my iPod. That was back when we all had iPods. Um, and I would, you know, just like consume, consume, consume. Cause I wanted to, similar to the way that I was obsessive about Lost and, you know, that sort of whole pop culture phenomenon. I wanted to be able to sort of like get everything. I wanted to understand Mm -hmm. the origins of all the jokes and the, you know, the nuances and everything. So I really like committed to that process. And like I've listened, um, I think that I'm a perfect 10. I may have skipped some reruns and some like episodes where people were off on vacation and stuff. But um, yeah, I've listened to all of them. So I, there were very few things that I didn't get um, for very long. Wow. Mad yeah. respect to you. I know. Well, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad, but... Yeah, you totally excuse anything with Aaron Mason if you skip that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> You're excused. Will, will do. <laughs> there was this whole week where they interviewed this guy who went to jail, and I was like, ugh, you know, uh, like, what do we... No, no just that kidding. Go. That was amazing, yeah. actually, but... Fuck that um, guy. No. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so have you had any TVTL appearances then? Um, I've had like some, I've had, I mean, I I don't know about appearances, but I've had some things, um, referenced and read part of the clip we'll listen to tonight, um, is one of them, but also I've had some like Facebook beef with Luke, um, back to the, glad you sort of brought up the Wally, the green monster thing, but back to the sort of Boston (laughs) sports scene and everybody hates, you know, Boston sports and everybody hates Boston sports fans, whatever. I get it. I'll own it. Winning is really hard. Um, but you know, the, the whole, the whole thing when he was going off about, um, how it was lame that the Boston community was sort of like connecting baseball and winning a world series in 2013 to the bombing and all of that. He just was taking a steaming dump all over it. And this was when he was still on Facebook and I was friends with him. And I just like, I posted something on his wall and was like, you're a jerk. I can't remember precisely what I said, but it was essentially that. And he took it down. And then a couple days later on the, on the podcast, he referenced um, being heckled by somebody in Boston and he sort of quoted me and, you know, just continued to sort of rail against how shitty it was for somebody to post something on a place where his family and his friends see it. Wow, this is the first time, Sarah, we've had anybody with a hugely negative uh, uh, interaction with the Oh, yeah? That's oh, fantastic. Wow. Well, and I felt kind of crappy about it because Don't. he had a point. No, no, no. He had a point. Like, I didn't need to, like, on his wall be like, you're a dick. But um, at the same time, you know, whatever. So he he took me to task on it. And I think I private messaged him and I was like, hey, sorry about that was shitty. You know, like, here's my perspective. And I, t- I told him, like, I'm like, look, I'm from Boston. 
I was here when that shit happened. We all have PTSD from that week. Like it sucked. It was scary. It was awful. We had to like lock ourselves in our houses. Like it was crazy. Um, and when the Red Sox won the World Series that year, we all kind of connected it to that like recovery process. Like if that's lame, whatever. But it was real for us, oh. you know. And he's like, "Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it." You know. So it was fine. But no, you um, should you should have totally just said, "How's your World Series championship, bro?" <laughs> 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 Which the Seattle Mariners. And I know this well. Have, have never. Yeah. Never appeared even. What do they call it when Felix pitches? They call it a King Day or a Felix, Felix Day. Di- a Felix Day. Yeah. 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 Well, those are always good days. Those right? are fantastic. I love yeah, Felix he's, Day. He's giant and powerful. About now, it. I, I don't, you know, it, I, I think we'll get into this a little bit in this whole, the topic of this podcast, but or this episode, but, you know, my, my like, the places where I have friction with Luke uh, he and I don't know each other, but I have friction with him <laughs> right. as a personality. Um, this is where we get into sort of the I'm lame territory. But the places where I have friction with him are also the places where, like, I feel super sensitive and, like, I want to take care of him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to hurt his feelings or anything because, you know, I don't think he wants to hurt anybody else's feelings. But, yeah, I just was like – so we had a little Facebook beef. Um, and I think I may have had one or two other, like, little emails or things read. But um, that was that was certainly the most memorable one. If you really want to hurt some feelings, go after Andrew because it's so easy. Oh, no, I could never. I could never. No, 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 no. Oh, Andrew. <laughs> Absolutely not. He, oh, he gets his feelings hurt about things that he thinks we might have said on this show. <laughs> exactly. That's why I don't want to like. No, I could never. I could never. Oh, poor Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's your favorite drop? Uh, I, you know what? I don't, they're, they're all, they all make me giggle for so many different reasons lately. That's my wife has been one of my faves. Cause it's like, you know, it's coming. It's just a question of when, like how fast he's going to hit the, you know, the play button, <laughs> but you know, it's coming. Cause he talks about Carrie a lot, but if I were to have to pick a favorite drop, it would be, I love Jesus, but I drink a little because that means Jen is coming. That yes. means Jen is going to be there and she's going to make an appearance. And um, I I adore Jen. I think we all do. Well, maybe I shouldn't yeah. say that. Maybe some people are irritated by Jen. Yeah. I don't think. And some people don't even are. know who the hell. Some people don't even know who the hell she is. They're like, who's this Jen person? And I'm like, really? But that's she's not the longest running podcast uh, uh, host of co-host of the show anymore. So no times are a changing. I'm, somebody could have listened for a thousand episodes and not mm. really know who Jen is. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a shame. It's a damn shame. <laughs> these kids these days, they don't know. So uh, the final uh, question here is, why does TBTL matter to you? The, so I have a lot of similar thoughts on this to many of the folks who you all have asked this question of. And I think I definitely appreciate the community aspect Um, I love feeling, you know, going back to feeling like I get the joke. It's kind of like understanding a very, very, very big inside joke (laughs) that's been going for, for me for like seven years. But, um, that's really huge. But I think, I think for me on like a really, like, what is it about my personality and the show that for whatever reason this feeds me and like, you know, is something that I want to consume day after day is the fact that they just keep doing the same thing. And I I think that might seem weird to some people, um, but I'm the kind of person who will eat the same thing for lunch every day just because it's easier. Uh, (laughs) I don't mind patterns. I'm a big routine person. 
Um, I love things that are constant and same um, and repetitive. It gives me a lot of comfort. And when they talk about changing things up or bringing in all kinds of guests or like cutting the show length or not swearing anymore, like I just am like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, just keep doing what you're doing. The top story sounder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, that's what? bothering me. That's not bothering me all that much, the Doogie thing. But so for me, I don't know. I think it like in a world where like nobody else really seems to want to do the same thing all the time. I appreciate that they just every damn day, they just, they, they open their computers and they record this shit. And some days it's awful and some days it's wonderful. And some days it's awful because it's wonderful and wonderful because it's awful. Like it's just the same thing. And I love that. I love that sort of steadiness. That's great. It's it, because it's there, regardless of yeah. what's going on. It's always there for you. Yeah. And I have to like, that can't be easy. I, I mean, I know it's their job now, but for a long time, you know, they weren't necessarily being paid to do it. And there's a certain level of like commitment that that involves. And I think that kind of commitment is a really respectable thing. And a lot of people have said that in times when their life was just completely falling apart around them, like TPTL was still there. Um, and that's real, like, that's a real, that's a real phenomenon. Um, and you know, that, that, that has been an experience that I've had quite a bit in the last few years. Well, that sounds like it's a cue to take it into the clip that you've brought us. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll set it up just a little bit. And then after we roll it, we can talk about why exactly you chose it. But this clip is from August 23rd, 2011. It's show number 892. And this is an episode when Luke finally shared with the tens that he and Vanessa were no longer together. And uh, that's part of it is pretty short. And then they move on to talking about some other sad things, because as Luke said, it is the saddest day in TBTL history. And then <laughs> on the end there, there is, I think this is the first time we've ever included an ad in the, the clip, and it is relevant to d- the discussion. So we'll roll yep. that and then we'll come back and talk about it. I guess we should talk about this now. Uh, because it's starting to become kind of a little bit of a, um, a little bit of, I think, a point of confusion for people and also a point of concern. So uh, let's talk about something that's actually kind of serious here, and this is not a joke or anything. Um, but I've been getting emails from people who have been wondering about what is going on with me and Vanessa. And what the folks have been curious about is the fact that, like, she hasn't really been on the show in a while, and... Um, you know, maybe hasn't just been uh, sort of integrated into the stuff we've been doing as, as much as, as previously. And also, um, I'm Facebook friends with a lot of the listeners, and people noticed that my Facebook status recently changed to not being engaged. And uh, that is not an accident. That is because it is the case that Van and I are not actually engaged anymore. And to be honest with you, we're not really in a relationship and this is a really, really sad thing for me. Like, without question, this is, the, this is the saddest thing like this that I've ever been through. And one of the things that makes it especially sad and kind of awkward is I've never been in a relationship before where there's, like, between 200,000 and a million people who are sort of feel like they know me and know Van and are following the relationship almost as a plot line. Mm-hmm. Wishing you well. And yeah, rooting for us mm-hmm. and um, 
And so to to have to have this really sad thing go on in my life and in Van's life, definitely, and then to also have to figure out how am I going to talk to how am I going to talk to our extended family of hundreds of thousands about it has been something that I've been really kind of, to be honest with you, dreading because it's a personal thing. I will say this much. There's not anything interesting or salacious. It's just a big, sad thing. And that, you know, in, in the way that people who have been through really sad breakups can identify with, sometimes it just doesn't work out, even though there were lots of reasons why you thought maybe it would or, you know, I can just say, though, as far as this goes, nobody did anything. Um, I couldn't be a bigger fan of Vanessa's. I, I really mean that. She's a, totally the best. So I guess what I, what I want to say to people is, even if you want to say something supportive to me, or if you want to tell me you're mad at me somehow for the fact that this relationship hasn't worked out, I would ask that you please just fight that urge. Because if you email me about this, Again, to say either thing, it will make me more sad <laughs> because I don't really want to get into it. Now, I also recognize that I have created a sort of a monster with this show <laughs> because I, I've been talking about my real life on this show. I mean, moment by moment by moment for uh, 892 episodes. And so it's weird for me to suddenly say this is the one uh, real moment of my life that's like off limits. I'm, I guess I'm not saying it's completely off limits. What I'm saying is right now. I would just really like to try to be as respectful to Van as I can be, to me as I can be. And as we know, respecting myself is a big challenge for me, generally speaking. Um, so I guess I would just ask that everybody could just try to be cool about it and and um, and just try to, you know, just leave it alone if that's possible. I don't know. I feel like, again, the culture that we have kind of created on the show, us, the listeners... <laughs> We're not good at leaving things alone as a group, right? Right. But right. this would be this would be one time where if we could just if 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 everybody could just try to cut me cut me uh the biggest break that they can because cuz to be honest with you, I'm really really sad. <laughs> and um anyway, so that's the uh that's the update on that and um and I guess we'll move on to talking about the president's reading list <laughs> cuz that seems like a that seems like an obvious segue. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a natch. Um, so uh, you know what? Let's let's talk about the president's reading list in a minute. Let's actually talk about let's talk about someone dying because I feel like that will we'll be moving Before. down the logical yeah. progression of tragedies. Then we'll play a really awesome song, and then Great. we'll have kind of perked the mood back up, Great. and then we'll be ready to talk about the president's reading list. Oh, and also to uh, talk about why Ryan Gosling is, is better than the rest of us. So uh, uh, there's a guy named Jerry Lieber who was part of this music writing uh, duo called Lieber and Stoller. And they were a couple of like kids, kids who met in L.A. years ago, like 50 years ago, maybe more. In fact, I think it was longer than that because he was 78 when he died and he'd been yeah. writing music since he was like in high school. Yeah, I think it was the late 50s, And um, 50s. They had decided that they wanted to become songwriters and that they were going to write music um, kind of specifically tailored towards African-American singers and, and bands. And they started writing music and they wrote a an absolute uh, unbelievable number of hit songs. Um, Hound Dog is probably their most famous song, which we can talk about in a minute. They wrote uh, Stand By Me, Yakety Yak, Charlie Brown, 
what else is on the Jailhouse list? Jailhouse Rock? Didn't they write Jailhouse Rock also? Sounds possible. <laughs> um, they did a really famous one with Peggy Lee, but it was not Fever. But I'm, I can't remember which one it was. Let me was. see if I can find it on my little computer here. Um, they These guys were, uh, were pretty incredible. And I, I became kind of obsessed with them in college because of the fact that I took this class, which seemed like a total throwaway, called Music 162, History of American Pop Music. But to this day, it is the only college class that I took that I have retained any information from at all, at all. Um, Forget uh, econ that I took. Forget uh, geology classes. Forget anything communications. Are you joking? If your kid tells you they're majoring in communications, you tell them you're not paying for their college anymore. I say this as a communications major. But this history of America, I feel like, Jen, it should be required. It should be a requirement. It should be... Uh, something that every single student in college in the United States has to take. Because you start off, at least the class I took, you know, you start off in the like 1800s with like broadside ballads and just the first music that ever got popular. And, and it got popular because of player pianos and because of early oh, yeah. phonographs. Because yeah, yeah. that was, there wasn't a lot of, I mean, I guess there was like orchestral music that was popular because you could transcribe the music and pass it around. But really it started with things like, you know, once you had phonographs. And I learned this stuff like, do you know that they credit, they credit Louis Armstrong with popularizing scat singing? It was, people were doing it like crazy in live settings on street corners, but but Louis Armstrong was doing a song called Heebie Jeebies, and in the olden days when you would make a record, it was out of wax, and once you were recording it, you had to go all the way through. If you stopped, it would, the recording was ruined, and you just had to start over, because you couldn't really match it back up. So Louis Armstrong, the story goes, is singing the song Heebie Jeebies, and uh, he the music, the sheet music, like falls, with the lyrics, falls onto the floor of the studio, and he can't bend over and pick it up, so he just scats through, because he doesn't know the words, he just scats through a section of the song until it gets to the other music part where he can bend down and pick it up. But everybody loved it. They left it on the recording. It was like a super big runaway hit. Um, also, I learned about Lieber and Stoller and about uh, you know the fact that with the song Hound Dog, you know, they wrote it for this lady, Big Mama Thornton. Because they were huge fans of that kind of music. Right. So that's who they wanted to write for. Yeah. And so, you know, they did like Love Potion Number no. 9 and Jailhouse Rock and all these songs that they kind of envisioned when they yeah. heard it in their mind. It had a lot of soul and a lot of grit and a lot of like, he done me wrong. Right. So imagine their shock when they heard Elvis's version actually about a dog. Yeah, which <laughs> which they, at least, uh, at least Lieber apparently did not. Was not a fan. No, I just watched Elvis a whole version. interview with them. They wrote a book last year called Hound Dog, like kind of their life story together. And I watched a documentary about them, and they were they did not like that version at all. But it, but it also was what made them rich and famous. So it, you know they were a bit in a in a mess there. Right, right. Um, but uh, anyway, they were super talented guy. This has been a bad day for songwriters. Yeah. The yeah. guy from Ashford and Simpson. Yeah, Nick Nicholas. Uh, and and he was Nicholas uh, Ashford, right? He was his, he was the Ashford of Valerie was Simpson, yeah. Um, doing solid as a rock, which will forever be associated now with a Bluth family business model. <laughs> I know, Starla. but it's like such. It's one of those songs that's so fun to sing along to and to get really into. And when you watch the video of them singing it together, you can tell that they're like so into it. And they they really, I mean, they were just joyful, happy people. They guested on American Idol a couple of years ago as like. Um, 
mentors for the young singers and had a great way about them. Like, just seemed really happy people. Did you, um, do you know all of the songs that they wrote, though? Because I, the main one is Ain't No Mountain High Enough. That was one I always heard was they, their biggest they, hit. they wrote Ain't No Mountain High Enough, You're All I Need to Get By, Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing. I'm Every Woman. Yes. Reach Out and Touch Somebody's Hand. Are you kidding me? No, Half of amazing. the babies in America that were conceived between 1968 and 1978 were probably the result of an Ashford and Simpson song. <laughs> so um, so I guess we'll, 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 we'll uh, you know... I, what I thought today was we were talking about this on the radio show. I thought, well, maybe, uh, uh, maybe Jerry Lieber is up in heaven with Big Mama Thornton talking about how much better <laughs> the version of the song that they were doing together was than Elvis. But then Elvis, I like to think Elvis is there too. Like, what are yeah, you talking about? He probably is there too, but he's probably somewhere eating a a fluffernutter sandwich. <laughs> but he's wearing gold, and oh, yeah. he's like, "This is what Hound Dog got me." So, right, suck it. <laughs> That's not how heaven works. <laughs> Have I told you my? I, I'm sure I've told this joke on the show before. Like. I, I got a lot of a lot of heaven related jokes. Mm-hmm. Have I told you the one about the 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 guys who get the cars in heaven? No. So this guy goes to heaven. There's actually three guys waiting at the pearly gates, and Saint Peter asks the first one. He says, "Were you faithful to your wife?" And the guy was like, "Yeah, totally, all the time. Um, I was I was really really faithful." And he says, "Okay, well here's um here's a Cadillac to drive." The next guy comes up and he says, uh, "Were you faithful?" And he says, "Most of the time, definitely most. A couple of slip ups here and there." business trip you know and the the st peter says all right here's a honda civic to drive for you right and the last guy comes up and he's like you know gets the same question he says i was terrible i mean i was just awful i was i was cheating every possible chance i got and uh, st peter says all right well you're gonna you know you're gonna drive a, a yugo so he's driving his yugo around heaven one day the guy in the yugo comes up to a stoplight in heaven and he sees the guy in the Cadillac, and the guy in the Cadillac is just crying his eyes out. He's just sobbing, crying at this stoplight. And the guy in the Yugo says, dude, what are you crying about? You get to drive a Cadillac around heaven. And he says, yeah, but my wife just went by on roller skates. <laughs> I don't know how that's appropriate to anything that's happened so far on the show. But I just I thought I I thought I'd share that. I also uh, well thought, when you have a good heaven joke, throw it. Yeah, in. exactly. That's a good rule. I was just looking, <laughs> just looking for uh, you know looking for a little positivity <laughs> on this. This th- uh, there's uh, I mean there was something else too that happened today that was incredibly bleak. I was looking at the list. Oh, Uncle Polly died. Kimmel, Uncle Frank. What? Do you know Uncle Frank died? No. Uncle I noticed Polly, he hadn't been on in in yeah. like weeks. He yeah. hasn't been on. Died seventy seven. It's oh, seriously the saddest that's day. That's how old Jerry Lieber was seventy seven. Saddest day in TBTL history. Wow. I know. Wow. Oh. I, right. Let's just keep. Oh, tonight's gonna be something. I don't. Keep... I wonder. I bet they won't even be on tonight. They weren't on last night. No, no, they're know. on hiatus until oh, the sixth okay. of September. Actually, oh, okay. so it's kind of. It's kind of nice for. Them. I actually they think. In, I think. I totally. I think it would be actually a really good thing. But um, yeah. I just today was going through the. No one can find Gaddafi. I mean, it's just. <laughs> I, it's just one sad thing after another. But I promise when we come back, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot better. I promise. But uh first let's hear a little bit of that big mama Thornton version of the song Hound Dog. This uh from uh from Lieber and Stoller. Back with more TBTL in just one moment. You ain't nothing but a hound.
Let's talk about uh, something that we call um, Sweet Berry Sweet Wine, Wine <laughs> uh, which is uh, made by... You know what's hilarious is that uh, Chateau Saint-Michel does not make any product that's called Sweet Berry Wine. Nope. As I, as I nor understand Nor do they it. plan to, I've been yeah. told. Nor, yeah, nor, nor are there probably even fans of us <laughs> calling it that. They're a, a, a really awesome winery in Woodenville, Washington. They have been supporting the show uh, for, uh, for, for a long time now. They're our longest-running sponsor. We really do appreciate it. Uh, and um, the, we, we hear all the time from you, the listeners, about fun little Chateau Saint-Michel-related adventures you've had. We got this email from uh, Sarah, who is a devoted boss 10. That means she's from Boston. Um, for, I feel like if someone's newly listening to the show, they'll think that yeah. we're saying she's saying she's boss, like she's really cool. <laughs> she's a boss 10. Yeah, I want to make sure that they know that that's not how we don't categorize the listeners that way. Uh, Sarah says, uh, my fiance and I are getting married in just under two weeks and are going to include a wine box ceremony as part of our wedding ceremony. If you haven't heard of it, uh, it's that thing of where, just kidding, oh, a little Stefan for you on a Wednesday, <laughs> Tuesday, whatever day it is. Uh, that will mean we put a bottle of wine and two love letters to each other into a wine box and make a promise to open it and read the letters to each other on our first anniversary. Oh, oh my I've God, never that's heard of adorable. that. That's so sweet. Uh, that is really, really super cute. Uh, obviously, that means we need a nice bottle of wine. And I thought that as a good little 10, I should try to use some Chateau Saint-Michel. I was wondering if you or any of the other 10s who are more familiar with the wine than I am can suggest something in white. Neither of us is a big red wine drinker. We drink a lot of Pinot Grigio, but it doesn't look like Chateau Saint-Michel has one. I may have to look a little harder as I've only seen CSM from time to time around here in Boston, but I'm willing to do it. One stipulation, the box is long and skinny, so we can't do a bottle that is fat around the middle. It has to be the typical shape. Okay, so are we are we, are we we asking for submissions, or are you just going to tell them? I would just tell them. You em. just tell them, because then you don't have to, we don't have to waste time sifting through, because we'll get 400 emails. Yeah. Well, CSM doesn't do a Pinot. That's out of the Willamette Val- Valley, which the Pinots. Uh, and, but they do have a, a limited release wine this summer called Midsummer's White. Mm-hmm. It would be perfect for this. I've never heard of this wine box ceremony, but it would be perfect for it because it's um, it's limited edition. So it has kind of that special rare quality. It's a really light, nice summer wine. And it also has a really cute, sweet um, label. That's um, a really adorable idea. Yeah. Um, because I thought you were supposed to freeze the wedding cake and then you eat the wedding cake. But that sounds kind of gross to me. Well, and I think that's also, I think people are trying to come up with ways to modernize. Yeah. You know, and that seems kind of 50s. Yeah. Well, so um, congratulations, you two. And uh, that sounds like a great idea. And uh, uh, get yourself some of that uh, some of that Chateau Saint-Michel that uh, Jen was talking about, and you will have a great time. The wedding wine box. I want to get to this before we roll back into and get into our feelings about yep. the, the actual uh, point of the clip. But mm-hmm. I, I've never heard of it. But that doesn't mean it's not great and real. Um, <laughs> but my I question, can feel maybe, you winding up here. <laughs> maybe they covered it, and I just wasn't listening closely enough. But when you unpack your wedding wine box after mm-hmm. a year, and mm-hmm. you read your love letters to each other, and you drink the wine, are you doing mm-hmm. this alone or in front of people? I think the intention is to do it with your spouse 
Um, I don't think it's like another ceremony with other people, although I'm sure there have been some people who have done it that way. Somebody said ceremony during that clip, and I was like, a ceremony? Oh, well, but is I, it the know, ceremony of putting the, the thing together at your wedding? Yeah. So I, I well, I, that may have been that may have been just my error in the way I described it in the email. But the the wine box kind of putting together is a part was a part of the the wedding ceremony itself. So the letters were kind of rolled up on this nice paper and like tied with little bows. Mm -hmm. And like, we actually put them into the wine box and like close the wine box um, at the actual um, wedding ceremony. And we should say for anybody who's confused at this point, that that was Sarah's email that was read in the CSM Uh, commercial. Yes, I'm the boss 10. I am no I'm I will always be a boss 10. I, you're you're boss no matter where you're from. Screw Sarah. this Connecticut shit. I'm definitely <laughs> I'm a Boston girl all my life. It's it's too late for anything to change. Well, I've just had um almost nothing but negative experiences with wine in my life and it's it's my fault <laughs> completely because I started off as a kid drinking beer and then when I got a hold of some wine, I drank it like it was beer. Oh, and, God, yeah. And yeah. that's not good because beer in the state of Washington is like 3.2% alcohol and wine, you know, is <laughs> it's anywhere like from 8 or, or 9%. Yeah. <laughs> up. yeah, that's and, awesome. You must have barked your brains out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a few times. Like the one, my most memorable experience with wine in high school was um, there was this girl that I tried to date unsuccessfully many times. And it was just, you know, I really liked her, but it was just one awkward date after another. And this one... Ended with, uh, well, I I got some wine because I was like, well, what do you what do you like to drink? And she said wine, so I got some wine, and you know, she of course had a glass or two and was you know perfectly fine, and I drank the rest of this giant jug of wine, yeah. and I was uh, it was at my house and at a party at my house. That was my idea of a date was throwing a party with all my friends at my house, <laughs> and so I romantic. Drank, <laughs> I drank the rest of this jug of wine. And I was lying face down on the lo- on the back lawn, holding the grass with every every ounce of strength I had to avoid falling off the earth. Oh my god, <laughs> that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I know you don't drink, but like for the rest of us who do and have, we've all been there, Mike. We've all yeah. been there. Yeah. You're not missing anything at all, Anne, by the way. <laughs> uh, fast forward to uh, my most re- regrettable experience with wine. Emily was staying with me for the summer before I moved to Austin. She was staying with me in, in Redmond. And we got uh, tickets to a Lyle Lovett show at the winery, Chateau Saint-Michel Winery. Mm-hmm. And she likes to have wine once in a while. She's not a big wine drinker, but she enjoys it once in a while. And I think we drank two bottles of wine mm-hmm. while we were there. And I, you know, I didn't know how much wine you're supposed to drink. And by the time I realized I was too drunk... And I was, we were both super irritated with everyone at this show because it was all just, <laughs> um, I mean, Lyle Lovett was, was doing his thing and, and Emily likes Lyle Lovett and I'm fine with Lyle Lovett. I don't hate him. <laughs> uh, but we couldn't hear him because it was either Brohams talking about their stock portfolios, you know, talking <laughs> or drunk ladies slurring along with the lyrics that we couldn't quite make out. Yep. And it was a very irritating experience. And then I didn't know how drunk I was because I was drinking wine. 
And I live pretty close because I lived in Redmond and we were in Woodenville. And I totally shouldn't have driven home, but I did. And I and it was, you know, I was not confident. Uh, and I shouldn't have driven home. And I really regret that. So why not my thing? No. So, uh, and it I'm gives you the headache the, the next day, too. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. It gives you the headache. Anyway, there's my wine diversion. We All can right, get to the good. to the real part of, you know, the uh, the front part of the clip. Yeah. So, Sarah, tell us why you brought this clip. So, the, you know, I submitted this a while back, and I have always had my doubts about it because I feel like most of the time LRB is about, like, giggles and spoofs and laughs and stuff. And this is certainly, like, not funny uh, in any way, shape, or form. But... The reason why, and so it's not like my favorite, quote unquote, but for me, this episode was just like really momentous and huge on a personal level. I heard this episode, I, I had, um, you know, gotten a little behind on my listening because I was leading up to my wedding. I was very busy um, back in August of 2011. And I actually listened to this episode while I was on the airplane with my then new wife um, going to our honeymoon. That's your wife. That was my wife. Um, and <laughs> if, we the, if we had the drop, we would play it for you. <laughs> we can all imagine it, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had, like many of the tens, been sort of like, what's going on? Like, I haven't heard. But, you know, I, I, I wasn't one of the people, I think, who was trying to get lots of information about, like, what was going on with Luke and Vanessa. But you just, you know, when somebody's behavior changes, like, something's up, um, you know, and, and you can figure that stuff out on Facebook, let alone the fact that, you know, he was a podcast person who talked about his life every damn day uh, on the Internet. So, you know, I kind of had a feeling, but I was very distracted by my own stuff and, um was, you know, just not really the type of person who would have reached out to him in any way and been like, what's going on? What, where's Vanessa? But when he announced this uh, on the podcast, and, you know, I was listening to it about a week later while I was on this airplane going to my honeymoon, um, it was, it really struck me on a personal level because, you know, I knew at the time that I had just um, married somebody I should not have married. Hmm. Um, and hmm. you know, you, so this is like this, you know, this, it's like a little embarrassing, but we're all 10. So fuck it. But this whole like connection with these people, Luke and Jen and Andrew and Sean, like the way that they put themselves out there and talk about their lives every day forces us to either connect or not connect. Yes. And Luke has always been somebody with whom on so many levels I have connected and on so many levels I have like wanted to like throw my phone and kill him. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when he announced this, it was this moment where I was like, I was sad for him. I was glad that he did the right thing for himself. Mm -hmm. I knew that that was what that was. And at the time I was in a space for myself on a personal level where I knew deep down that I had um, made a choice that was probably not good for me, um, but I wasn't ready to like face that and deal with it. So it was just kind of like this moment for me where I just kind of took it and like folded it up and like put it in my pocket and was really, really grateful that it was there, like out there for me to like access because I think I knew somewhere down the road I was going to need to draw some strength from examples like that for myself. 
So that was where my personal connection came with the the story he told when sort of, you know, telling the world that he and Vanessa were no longer together. And then, you know, maybe 20 minutes later in the episode, <laughs> they read this fucking email. Yeah. That, that bookmarked it for all time. <laughs> right? You. And I just like... I remember just sitting there, you know, with my earbuds in and sort of shaking my head and being like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like (laughs) the universe sort of like slapping me upside the head. And they read that email and uh, I I wrote it, I think, knowing full well that I would get I would get onto the show because I think that summer they were taking a lot of email submissions that were also ads for CSM. So I think I -hmm. I wrote it knowing I would get I would get on, so to speak. Um. Yeah, you always know when you got a hook. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I knew that was here. like a sweet, yeah, I knew they couldn't like resist that. It was cute. Yeah. It was adorable. It was like relevant to their sponsor's interests, et cetera, et cetera. So when I heard that, I just, I, I just was like, I don't know, it was one of those moments as an adult where you're like, okay, it's sort of head shaking. Um, and it, it's really, it's really weird listening to it um, six years later. Uh, like a lot has changed in my life. And my brain is different and my sort of approach to life is different. And listening to it now um, is fascinating because I remember what I thought at the time. And I remember thinking I'm going to need to access this later. But it also reminds me so much of like when Luke and Jen are kind of, oh, you know, like reacting to the wine box thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, congratulations, you two. And that's so great. It really reminds me of how how much we can appear to be something that we are not, either with our real mm-hmm. friends, our real family, our Facebook friends, our Facebook family. We can appear to be in a um, relationship or a job or a whatever, whatever situation our lives are, and we can make it look like something that it's not, not just for the world around us, but for ourselves. Um, and so, you know, there's a certain level of not shame, but like sadness that that evokes for me now, because like, I knew that I was lying to everybody, to myself, to the world, to my family, to, you know, my ex-wife's family, the whole thing. That's the spoiler, you know, spoiler alert. Um, We are no longer married. But um, yeah, so that that's where that clip comes from. And it connects to me on so many like deep personal levels that it just, it really kind of reminds me of how much we all have in common. Aren't you kind of glad when you're listening to it that Luke didn't go through with it and aren't yeah. you, you're kind of happy for him and and Vanessa that it never yeah. happened yep. because it's just it's so messy yep. once once you're in it's so messy yeah it's so hard to like see your way out of something like that mm-hmm. it takes an enormous amount of courage and so my my ex-wife um and I we're married for a, like two and a half years, but all told, we were together for nine years. We were together for a long time. We need we need a life hack it buddy type drop life for my my ex, my ex wife. <laughs> 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 Just a Frankenstein oh. drop. <laughs> That's my ex wife. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So so we. I mean, like the current. Yes, I am glad for him, and I think. Even at the time, like I knew at that point, I'd been listening to the show for like a year or two. I don't know. And he already, like Luke, he already annoyed me in all the ways that he does still today. But 
that was a moment for me where I just was like, okay, this guy has more courage than I do. Um, and someday I'll have courage too. And when my ex-wife and I separated, it was like after like two months where every Saturday we would kind of like sit down on the couch and talk about our relationship and talk about whether it was time to break up or not. Mm-hmm. Like we went into it. How, what did um, Gwyneth Paltrow and Coldplay guy, like they talked about consciously uncoupling or something oh, yes. like that. Like, mm-hmm. um, and that sounded lame to the rest of the world. But to me, I was just like, yep. Um, that was my experience. We, we loved one another. We cared about one another. We were sad and in a lot of pain and we ended our relationship because we loved one another too much to continue to be in an unhappy space. But more than anything, it was about loving ourselves and wanting, like saying like this, we, this, I cannot do this anymore. Like nothing could be worse than this. And so after, you know, a long period of time of recognizing that it was going downhill, but then like, I mean, literally, we just every Saturday, we sat down on the couch and we kind of checked in and Saturday, January 25th, 2014, we ended it. I left and um, we separated and we were divorced that year. And it was a thoughtful and loving break, but it was enormously painful. And it was hard, not just for us, but for our friends, our family, you know, the real ones on the Facebook ones, like the whole thing. Um, Is there, was it part, was it because you felt like a failure? Like you had. Yeah. I I mean, you go through that whole wedding thing, like that alone, like the routine and the ritual and the money and the, 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 the hoopla and all of that. There's some guilt about that. Yeah. You have guilt about that. But I mean, I was sad for everybody. I was sad for, for, for us, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shame, dude. Like you, you know, everybody's a child of divorce or whatever. And my parents broke up when I was young and I kind of always went into my adulthood thinking I'm never going to get divorced. Like I'm never going to do these things. And you know, and I just, I've done them. Um, and I think that that's part of being an adult. Um, adulting is hard as we were saying earlier, (laughs) (laughs) you have to let go of that shit, but like you have to recognize that, it's a human condition to like be in that much pain. Um, and what, at the time when I heard Luke talking about what had happened, I didn't hear the pain, but when I hear it now, I can totally hear it. Like mm-hmm. I can put mm-hmm. myself right in his shoes right at that moment. Like, and his, his business is his business. Like, I don't know what was going on in his head, but I think I kind of do. And it reminds me of that. He's a person, he's a human being and he puts himself out there in a lot of different ways. Exactly. Like putting himself out there. That's, um, some of his anguish had to do with the fact that he, for the first time in his career, he'd involved someone, his significant other in his career, in his life, Mm -hmm. in his public persona. And he, he was conflicted about how to disentangle her from that as well as disentangle himself from the relationship. Right. Right. In Um, real life. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It was no, no more than a week and no less than two weeks. uh, When Luke and I, we, we don't talk, we don't talk that much on the phone. We have a lot of, of email threads and, but, it's not often that we, we actually talk and it's usually when he's really tangled up in something and it's because 
I think we don't have physical proximity and he mm. knows that I don't talk to his other friends, you know, right. outside of Andrew. And that's more of a recent thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm a pretty safe soundboard for him. And he was really torn up about how to break this to the tens. And mm. because I was a 10 mm-hmm. and a friend, he wanted some advice on, on how to do it. Or, or, you know, I don't know if he wanted advice as much as he just wanted to unload. Mm, and yeah. it was uh, because he 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 was getting through, he was processing the breakup of his relationship, who the woman who he thought he was going to spend the rest of his life with. And then he thought, uh, wow, now there's, there's this other aspect. And it, mm-hmm. it set him back having to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't think it would have been good for him to like the day after the, they broke up for him to announce it on the air. Right. It would have been it would have been better like the band aid you know ripping the band aid mm-hmm. because you know having to open it all up again a month later yeah <laughs> on the air <laughs> uh, wow God. that was a yeah rough one. I mean you have to divvy up that work right like you and your your ex need to be like all right you need to tell yeah, like right I was like who's gonna tell your parents and she was like well I'll make my sister do it you know like it was just right. Christy crazy. would have a spreadsheet for it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, like I can't imagine having to tell like a group of people who think they own a part of my life but mm. who really don't, but who kind of do. Like that's complicated and I just I ugh god, I know that pain. It sucks. It sucks so much. But I think it's it's good that he waited that long. I think mm. because we all know he's a person with whom uh feelings run high right at the beginning, you know, yeah. he's, he's such yep. a reactor that yeah. I think it was How's really your engagement? Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good that he How's could, your wine box. <laughs> he could right. get a little, a little distance and maybe a little perspective. And I thought yeah. that yeah. Um, he was just really so gracious about it all. We give totally. Luke a hard time, you know, uh-huh. his entitled etiquette and all of that. But but he did write by Vanessa, I think, mm-hmm. by saying mm-hmm. that he was still, didn't he say, I'm her biggest fan? I, she's great, yeah. but yeah. it's just not going to work with us. I, I, I thought that was a very a gentlemanly gesture. I mean, he had an opportunity to get, um, what did he say, between 200,000 and a million people, <laughs> like, on his side oh, if God. he wanted to start some beef, and he chose not to do it. But deep down, I don't think that's what kind of person he is. Like, no, he, he does a lot of shitty stuff and like is annoying in a lot of different ways, as we all are. But um, no, I and, and I thought, you know, when he made a point of saying, look, there's not anything interesting or salacious. It's just a big, sad thing. Yeah. Like yeah. I said those same damn words to my friends, to my fan, you know, people who were like, why? What's going yeah. on? You know, because everyone wants so the big easy. explanation. Right. And it's also so easy to pretend everything's fine when it's not. So it can seem really sudden and awful to people who aren't really deeply connected to your life. Like there must be some precipitating event. Who did something? Who who cheated? And it's like, no, this is just sad. Like it's just an ending. It's and it's a loss. And it's like, ugh, it's just it's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. That that particular breakup, there were probably that I know of six or seven contributing factors and none of them were anyone being awful. It was right. just not a, not the right match, not a right mm-hmm. lifelong match and, yep. and good on them for figuring it out. Word. 
Well, let's talk about his uh, the the download numbers at the time that they were getting. <laughs> There's quite a range there. <laughs> uh, I didn't start my podcast until uh, that shit had been straightened out, and um, you know we 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 used a a provider that gave us real numbers, and you know as 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 much as that made you cry sometimes, at least you know you were getting real stuff. Uh, I can only imagine how heartbroken he was to find out that he probably had <laughs> 20,000 followers. Aww. 20,000 people downloading on a regular basis, which is a fucking ton of people. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you don't think I, he was just like rounding up? <laughs> no, no. He was getting, they were getting numbers. And the reason they were getting numbers like this uh, was because... There was some kind of um, glitch in the system. Like you, you mentioned earlier, Sarah, that you could only get your podcast yeah. on iTunes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. The numbers that you would get from iTunes um, were there was some kind of, and, and I'm talking on my ass here because Jeremy's the one who knows about this stuff, and Bobby to some extent as well. It, every time uh, uh, iTunes would check and see if you were still listening, you know, you get the initial download. And then you'd get some kind of credit when someone actually clicked on listening to it. Mm -hmm. And then it would check back every few minutes or whatever to make sure that you were still playing it. Mm -hmm. And everyone counted at the time as a download through iTunes. And ah. since since I didn't start a takedown until after this was over, I didn't get the ego boost of, you know, like, <laughs> hey, we're getting 20,000 listeners or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So the the way I'm estimating what their downloads are now are, I th I think and and you can attest to this. I'm a pretty good guesser at things, right? Yes, you are. I'm a pretty good guesser, and I think that LRB gets about one tenth of the downloads that uh, TBTL does, and we get about two thousand downloads per episode. So I mm -hmm. think they have around twenty thousand downloads, and that that would um, the TBTLathon and all that, the numbers that they get would tend to support what I'm saying, I think. Because okay. I think probably a quarter to half of the people contribute and at the at the numbers that they contribute, it just it all the math makes sense to me, though I don't want to ever break it to Luke. <laughs> that it's just twenty thousand people. Because it's it's such a huge step back from what he thought at the time. But I mean <laughs> He's making a living at this thing, and he's he's on his right? way to great things. I think so. No, I agree. He's got he's got CBS Sunday Morning numbers backing him up now. Emmy oh, award winning yeah. man. <laughs> Emmy award winning. Did he ever end up paying for that and getting it? No, I don't think he did. No, he? that surprises so. me actually. That drives he'll buy Phyllis anything. crazy. He'll drive all. He'll buy all the things, and I can't believe he didn't buy an Emmy. Yeah, his standards are Phil weird. Phyllis would have bought a hundred of them if she'd have won an Emmy. <laughs> yes. Am I right, Phyllis? <laughs> P. Fletch. The thing about the Emmy is it won't regrow Luke's hair. <laughs> hey, can I say something about his hair real quick? <clears throat> sure. Uh, I was listening to um, the Pesca Sports Podcast, Hang Up and Listen, which he's quitting, and so am I uh, quitting listening to because he's leaving it. But they had the, an ad for a shampoo that washes away gray. And I mentioned this to Emily, and... We both thought, oh, I hope he doesn't hear about this because he'll probably be tempted to use it. Uh, but she thinks, you know, he looks more handsome with the gray. And I think, I, I don't care whether he looks more handsome with it, but it's helping him age into these great TV broadcast 
spots because it's not bad to be a guy with graying temples. Right. You know, when you want to get on uh, CBS America's most watched network by 70 year olds plus, you know, right. they want to see a little gray around that <laughs> yep. temple or otherwise you're a punk, you know? Right. You're just a kid. You don't know shit. Yeah. He huh. looks good. I've noticed the, the gray on the temples lately and I, I think that it looks great on him. It really does. But, you know, he's, he's so vain, you know, he's got the topic. He paints his bald spot. <laughs> Okay. What another? If it's an interesting tangent, can we take it, Anne? Can we talk about what Bobby did tonight on Twitter? Sure. Yeah. All right. It's uh, Wednesday night, and we're recording. And Bobby was in Boston, I think, and he was going to some concert. And before he went to the concert, he went over to a uh, Chris Hayes book signing slash book reading uh, near the venue. And Chris Hayes was taking Q&A after, but it wasn't a very long thing because I think he had to get back to New York to do his MSNBC show. And we encouraged, we were encouraging Bobby to, <laughs> during the Q&A, to ask him if he paints his ball spot. <laughs> <laughs> didn't and Chris say something like, what, what did he say? <laughs> what Chris, is happening? Or well, something like that. No, Chris... Chris uh, the Q and A wasn't long enough, or Bobby had to leave, or whatever. But Bobby tweeted at him. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, later, and said, uh, "Paint your bald spot." Uh, he said, "Well, I mean, I missed. I'm, I didn't get a chance to ask this at Q and A, but did you paint your bald spot." And then, and uh, Chris tweeted back at him. I think it was the last line in that Larry King sequence. Uh, what was it? You're sick, or? Sick. I think it was just sick. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because Larry King was so mad at the guy who was calling him sick. So, oh God! Wow. I've been saying that. I've been saying that around the house a lot Paint your lately. Paint your bald spot. And my my eleven is like what? And I've been expl- like I've been explain like going back to the beginning and explaining the whole thing. I actually have I have a bald spot from stress and grief last fall. My mom died, so I like. Had this whole period of time where like hair was falling out. It's growing back oh, now, no. but every yeah, no, it was crazy. Like the way you stuff manifests in your body is bonkers. But it's growing in now. But um, every morning when I'm like you know getting out of the shower and I can see it, I'm like paint your bald spot. Like it's actually added some lightness to something that <laughs> made me want to like scream and cry for about four months. So I really, really, really appreciate that drop these days. Mm, get some topic, you know, just match it to your hair color (laughs) well and it made me think of tw2000 as well like the 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 tiny wig and i've explained that to my 11 as well um you know i could just go to cvs and get the hair thing and clip it to my hair like it'll it'll be fine she's just like okay whatever (laughs) well speaking of bald spots um i've probably told this and even recently like when emily was going through her uh radiation oh right they, you know, she had uh, where her brain tumors removed was in her right frontal lobe, and so they're firing it through there, and it's also firing out the back. <laughs> so she not only had the bald spot in the front, which she knew about, but when you know, I'm watching her, she's she's uh, we're in the master bedroom, and I'm I'm looking at her from behind. She's getting ready to go somewhere, and I see this giant bald spot in the back of her head. That How she's giant? Never mentioned. Probably about three inches <gasps> diameter. Shit. And she didn't know it was there. She, she couldn't feel it. Like she, she didn't, didn't know. Wow. Never felt it. Oh, wow. So I see it 
And I don't want to say anything, but I know if I don't, she'll know that I've seen it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like when spinach is in your teeth and you come out of a meeting and you go to the bathroom and you're like, mother, you know, like you're so mad. Yep. Yep. So it it was a difficult conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But was she grateful in the end? that? Oh, yeah, she was good. And, and, you know, it didn't last too long. You know, I mean. She, once you get once you get a little baby hair going in the back there, it's easier mm-hmm. to cover up than in the front. Yep. But uh, whew, yeah, so she didn't she didn't give in. She didn't buy any of the topic or anything, or or get a TW two thousand <laughs> or anything like that. That would be a good clip for another show. TW two thousand yeah, really was. relevant to my interest currently. Uh-huh. It comes back out of the you know the the closet there. Okay, so if we're if we're through with um bald spot talk mm. should Sorry. we touch on i mean tangents <laughs> what's all yeah. about to have my tangent diagrammer uh shall we talk about the the rest of this clip which i mostly left in because it was really only four or five minutes that he talked about vanessa and i didn't mm-hmm. know if we would have enough to be able to have a long conversation obviously we did but um, I liked the rest of this clip, too, mostly because I liked that I, we got to listen to Big Mama Thornton's rendition of Hound yeah, Dog. Awesome. It was yeah, so it was good. Awesome. That was super toe-tapping. Loved it, loved it, loved it. But they were listing all those different Lieber and Stoller songs. And there is a little TVTL connection in there because um, when, I, when I went and I was looking up to see what other songs that they did. There was uh, a reference to Michael McDonald and I keep forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out they wrote a song called I keep forgetting that they had a guy God. named Chuck Jackson sing back in the day. And it is similar enough that Michael McDonald had to give them a songwriting credit. Wow. on his. Really? Yep. Wow. It's great. The The Chuck Jackson version is on YouTube, so anybody can go and check that out. But I mean, now every time that Luke goes, I keep forgetting not in love anymore, <laughs> it's got a Lieber and Stoller connection. You know, that's the only impression he does that does not sound like Bill Clinton, but <laughs> it's equally as like dad jokey. Like, and he tells a lot of, he, tell, he tells a joke about like the guy who goes to heaven in the car thing, like his, he used to do a lot of dad jokey stuff with Jen, which made her laugh. And that's like one of my favorite sounds. In that the world, one killed Emily laughing. tonight. I really killed. Yeah. Killed that it's, a, one. it's a good one. <laughs> Cause I can cry on command. Oh, yeah. So nice. I got to be the guy in the Cadillac, just, you know, <laughs> bawling. <laughs> oh God. The other interesting part to this that I thought was when Luke started talking about this class that he took when he was spouting off Lieber and Stoller uh, trivia and so forth. And he talked about taking the history of American pop music. And he said it was the only class at uh, in college, including all of his communications classes, the only class that he retained anything from. Let me Mm -hmm. say something about uh, the UW communication school. Sure. Uh, I attended. And he's absolutely right. Parents should refuse to pay for anyone who wants a communications degree, particularly one from the University of Washington. He and I both have broadcast journalism degrees from that uh, institution, which is a uh, part of the communication school that no longer exists. And for a good reason, it was terrible. Uh, And I also took Music 162 
And it was also one of the only classes I remember anything from, from school. It was fantastic. Was it the same teacher? Was it the same teacher? I I don't remember anything about the teacher. I don't know that Luke would either. It was the more about the work, the curriculum, what they gave you to listen to. Because you'd go to the library and there was like, you know, a listener library inside uh, the undergraduate library and you'd go and you'd put on the headphones and you'd listen to all the things and read the material and you'd just be swept away and just... Uh, fascinated by the history of music, particularly pop music, but you know they went through a lot of blues and R and B and all that bullshit. You know, Tin Pan Alley, and you just understood music like you'd never thought you could. And I'm not saying is that this as a recommendation for music in general because music is terrible and it's and. <laughs> but if you find yourself going to the University of Washington and getting a useless degree. As an elective, take Music 162. You'll love it, and um, you will you will take it all of the knowledge that you gain there throughout your life, and you'll be able to blow hard at parties once you've had a couple drinks in you. <laughs> I think that has a lot to do with just learning in general. I think we, most of the time, the learning process is so boring, and it's just a teacher standing there talking to you about stuff. And mm-hmm. when you have the opportunity to engage your brain in a different way, like music is a huge, it's a whole way of, it's like a completely different modality for getting into the learning process. And I think that's brilliant. Like, I'll bet you that that experience was shared by many, many people who took that elective at that school. Yeah. Um, just for that, because it was different, because your brain was like, oh, this is something else, you know, and then and, and just kind of grabbed onto it. I use music a lot in my teaching. I think it's really important. I also didn't have to go to class to to, to do that experience, <laughs> which was a big part of my my enjoying of college was the not having to go to class. Sure, <laughs> Sarah, yeah. did you have a class that was like this? Yeah, I so I mean I I loved college and I studied a lot of different things um, and I I enjoyed all of it, but I actually the class I really remember being like I have learned something um, was I took intro to painting. And it was, I think, similar to the music piece. It was just it engaged a different part of my brain. And Mm -hmm. I remember the teacher sort of explaining, you know, like you're sitting looking at a still life and trying to figure out how to paint it. And the teacher that I had was like, just look at the shapes. Don't look at the object. Look at the shapes that make up the object and then like piece it together with the. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, like. I saw I saw the world in a completely different way and I loved it. Like I would go after class, I would go outside of class because I just I wanted to continue trying this new thing that I was like learning how to do. I loved it. And also typing. I took typing in high school and thank God, because I can type. <laughs> like I know how to type. <laughs> when I was a senior I when I when I transferred, they typing was a requirement at Eastside that it yeah, wasn't same. at my public school. Yeah. So I was terrible at it. So and I, I needed to pass the class and I ended up getting a C, but I did it by cheating. And how you cheat what? in a typing class <laughs> <laughs> is you they give you the material that you're going to have to type. Uh, it's like a couple minutes before the, the typing test happens. I would memorize as much as I could of it. And then I would just look at my hands. And and then every time the teacher would look at me, I would turn my head away by my eyes, still down on my fingers. Oh my god! Uh, it was so nerve wracking. But I was like, I gotta get a C, gotta get a C, and I, I squeaked by with a C in wow. that class. Yeah, that's a lot of work. To I mean, you could have just memorized where the keys were. 
Ah, uh, no. I still don't know where they are. <laughs> Courty. Still don't know where they are, but I but I I I can I can do 70 to 85 words a minute, but I'm I just look at my fingers. <laughs> my mom made me take typing when I was in junior high in summer school. Oh, and that wow. was awful because that was 4 days a week of 3-hour classes. Whoa. And I wanted to kill myself <laughs> by the time that was over. And they never give you any interesting text, you know. You're not typing out a Norman Mailer novel or something. It's just, you know, <laughs> this dog crossed the street. You know, oh, come on now, give me something good here. Can we get some sexy books? Mike, they must have. Did they have typewriters when you were doing it? Because they had yeah. typewriters when I was doing it, and I think you've got like ten years on me. That it was sort of like being in the 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 room with like you know the looms, you know, back in the sort of industrial revolution. It was like the loudest, yeah, it was crazy loud. racket. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. I think that's what helped distract the teacher from from realizing that while my head was tilted <laughs> toward the toward the page, my eyes were glued to the keyboard. Oh, so good. <laughs> housekeeping um <laughs> not a lot right now uh what i would tell you is the archiving raffle finally came to fruition when new mike farnan came on to uh take my place with his fancy two legs and unwrapped <laughs> his loot crate if you uh want to get yourself a uh, loot crate from one of us i think Naomi has one coming. She's the next one. And there will be five more of those coming because I think we have seven total hosts at this point, if you include Fletch. So that was fantastic. I mean, he made out like a bandit. I, I just don't know uh-huh. if I'm going to be able to live up to that kind of a crate. And did that worry you at all? All the stuff that was coming out of that crate, whether you or I are going to be able to live up to that? No, because I'm going to bake. Oh, oh damn yeah. you with your baking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to figure something out because I don't think everyone enjoys like pinning insects to a, a, a board as much as I do and putting them in a glass. <laughs> so uh, get to get to archiving because every successful um, show you archive puts you in the uh, raffle and you will get. I mean, he just got he made out with so much stuff. I was jealous, especially about the food stuff. Uh, you can also um, please help us out. Click the Amazon link on our website and you can shop there for everything you do. We got a uh, prime pantry tonight that I hope Emily ordered through the uh, website. And so if you're listening, Emily, get on that because I know you order every goddamn thing through Amazon. Let's try some positive reinforcement. Good job, Emily. (laughs) Good job, Emily, getting stuff on prime pantry. Now go to the fucking (laughs) link. Sorry. <laughs> All right. That's it for uh, housekeeping. Uh, I, I do want to say this, though, um, before Anne tells you how to get involved. Sarah, this was one of my favorite shows in a while. Thanks for opening up yeah. what you did. Oh, yeah, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was uh, it was a nice, safe space. I appreciate that. And I liked what you said about how this is generally a place where we have fun and we have spoofs and laughs. But uh, one of the things that I like best about the tens is that we can be silly and we can be serious mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that we're all kind of people who care about the world. So it was nice to talk about this. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I feel like the timing was right um, to, to do this. I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to kind of reflect. It's, it's, it's healthy on a personal level as well. I got to say, you seem very emotionally well-adjusted about all of this. <laughs> well... 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you. Yeah, it, it. Listen, it was messy and hard. Um, a lot has a lot of good things have happened since all that too. Um, I, I am, I am, I'm actually remarried now. Um, I, my wife is um, absolutely the most perfect partner for me in the world, and I got lucky and you know had the courage to like end a situation that you know I was really dedicated to, but wasn't helping. Um, helping me grow as a person and, and a lot of really wonderful things have happened on a personal level since then I'm a stepmom. Like it's all like life is good, you know? Um, but you don't, you know, it takes a while to get through that, that space and be able to talk about that stuff, but you got to do it. If you're going to do it, you just got to do it. Yeah, that's great. I'm really happy for you. (laughs) Thank you, my friend. If you'd like to get involved with the show, you know that you can always come visit our website and click the big button that says LRB our guest and submit uh, an episode that you'd like to come and talk about like Sarah did. You mm-hmm. can come hang out with us on Facebook at the Stents page or on our page. The show Twitter is at LRB podcast. Sarah, are you on social media? Are you accepting uh, social media contact? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I do have a Twitter account. I don't tweet as much as I look at other tweets, but I am at SGM4388. I think that's my Twitter handle. Catchy. I'm not sure. I'm also yeah, I know, isn't it awesome? <laughs> uh, I'm also on Facebook. Um, easier to find there, just my name. There's a girl in England with the same name as me. We're Facebook friends. Uh, she's skinny and blonde. That's not me. So I'm the one in Connecticut <laughs> with uh, lots of pictures of cats, lots of cat pictures. That's oh my, my goodness, cat. that's a beautiful cat. Oh, his name is Maccabee. New definition to cat box. Yes, seriously. He's ginormous and he puts himself into tiny spaces. He's all the same stere- he's like all the cat stereotypes. But yeah, he uh he happened upon our family in December. He just kind of was meowing outside and he was freezing cold and he was skinny and bony and covered in dreadlocks and we took him in. Um and he's gained 6 7 pounds since we got him and he's like our Aww. little he's like our baby. We love him so much. He's a good boy. Aww. Shout out to Maccabee. Yeah, so if you're not friends with Sarah on Facebook, friend her, and then you can see the pictures of Maccabee. (laughs) And if you have something that you need to say to us, you can always email us at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com or call us and leave a voicemail at 802-432-TBTL. That's 802-432-8285. And with that, I'll get us out of here. Until next time, this is The Next Party. We love you, Jen, and I know you don't listen, but I know um, Jason does. And for Jason, I hate just to have one question. Paint your bald spot? <laughs> <laughs> uh, nailed it. That's my ex-wife.